Welcome, everyone, to Sunday service at Ananda Village. A special welcome to our guests at the Expanding Light and those who are joining us online, and those are local Sangha members and our community. I was was thinking this morning I would like to say a special thank you for the community members and local Sangha who set up Sunday service every week and do such a beautiful job creating this space for us. Thank you. I am Tiagini Lisa, and this is Tigani. Yagi, <laughs> Peter, <laughs> and it's our joy to be here. So today's reading from Rays of the One Light, which are weekly commentaries of the Bible and Bhagavad Gita by Swami Kriyananda, is the topic of intuition is simple, the intellect is complex. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramhansa Yogananda. In the Gospel of St. Mark, chapter 10, we read a passage that Yogananda often quoted. And they brought young children to him, that he should touch them. And his disciples rebuked those that brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased and said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not. For such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. It has often been noted that a critical attitude tends to paralyze creativity. Good critics, for example, seldom produce works of creative genius, though their creations may be intellectually clever. The intellect separates It analyzes, then puts things together again, piece by piece. Intellect lacks intuition's flow, which descends smoothly like a river from the superconscious. Paramhansa Yogananda described intuition as the soul's power of knowing God. To receive the kingdom of God, Jesus was saying, one must do so with the openness and trust of a little child. Intellectuals may object to this statement, saying... But there must also be discrimination. You wouldn't want a person to be so open-minded that his brain falls out. The truth is, however, that the intellect can be fooled, even when it does its best to discriminate wisely. Only intuition is capable of penetrating to the heart of a matter and knowing truth from falsehood. It was the clear understanding of a child, not the elaborately persuaded intellects of his elders, that enabled the child in Hans Christian Andersen's story to cry out in surprise, why isn't the emperor wearing any clothes? Therefore, it was that, Sri Krishna said, let me say that again, therefore it was that, Sri Krishna said, in the ninth chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, to you who are free from the carping spirit, I shall now reveal wisdom sublime. Grasping it with your mind, and perceiving it by intuitive realization, you shall escape the evils of delusion. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind.
First, I'd like to read from Whispers from Eternity. This is Yogananda's book of prayer demands and mystical poems. Teach me, O Spirit, by meditation to stop the storm of breath, the skipping of my mental restlessness, and all the sensory disturbances that rage on the lake of my mind. Let the magic wand of my intuition halt the gale of passions and unnecessary desires. In the rippleless lake of my mind, then, let me behold the undistorted reflection of the moon of my soul, glistening ever with the reflected light of thy presence. I'm going to take you back to 1982, 34 years ago. Um, we had opened our little medical clinic about six months before serving the Ananda community and people who lived out here in our, at that time, very frontier area uh, here in Northern California. And it was uh, quite an experience opening a medical clinic because I, had, I was a shiny-cheeked, a young physician just out of my training, and uh, I suddenly discovered that I'd been surprisingly well-trained to practice medicine, but I didn't know anything about hiring people or um, how you did payroll or how you did all the practical things, borrow money to um, do upgrades on your building, all these things that you have to do to actually run a, um, a small clinic. I remember it had taken us about six or eight months. In fact, the place we started in was very simple, sweet, but very simple. We literally took an old agricultural storage shed, moved the backhoe out, moved us in, and brought in a little house trailer next to it. So we had enough place to, enough room to see patients. And we were finally at the point that everything was sort of working. We had several staff members and uh, we're seeing, you know, 15 or 20 patients a day. And I was thinking for several days, you know, it would be nice if we did more spiritually with our patients. And maybe I should be asking every patient, would you like me to meditate with you? Would you like me to pray with you now? Or would you like me to pray for you about your health issues? This was all in my mind. And Swami, actually, Swami Kriyananda, our founder, came by to see the clinic. He'd not been in yet. And uh, I took him on a tour, very short, because there was only like six rooms. And uh, at the end, I was sort of explaining this dilemma I was having of, how should I handle the spiritual aspects of dealing with my patients? And he let me talk along for two or three minutes. And finally, I'd gotten everything out. And I waited. And he said, hmm, get x-ray. And I said, excuse me? (laughs) Because I'd asked him about this very complicated spiritual question, and he just said, yes, get x-ray. He smiled at me, turned, and walked out the door. <laughs> I felt a little bit like somebody in a foreign country who'd walked up to someone on, the street, on a street corner and asked for the time, and they told you how to get to the train station. It was not the question I'd asked, but as it turned out, 
he was right. In fact, another thing I discovered is when I would talk to radiologists, people who read x-rays, that uh, they didn't know how to take x-rays themselves. They had technicians that did that. So we had to learn how to install an x-ray unit, how to take care of it, fix it when it broke, and actually how to develop films. This was back in the era when you actually had a dark room, and you took your x-ray in, you dunked it in different baths, really smelly baths. Um, <laughs> And you came up with a wet x-ray that you read on a, a monitor. But I thought, how intriguing that, not knowing anything about medicine, that he tuned into something that would be very critical for a frontier clinic. Because I hadn't read anything about that when I looked at people talking about practicing in rural areas. And yet somehow he'd gotten to the core of something that was very important that we had. As it turned out, when we had it up and running in several months, um, we were taking two, three x-rays every single day we were open. There were that many injuries, minor fractures, people who might have pneumonia, those sorts of things to keep it busy. You know, when um, Master Yogananda talked about the mind, he would sometimes compare it in cross-section to looking at the ocean, if you were to slice it and look at it in its shallow and its surface all the way down to its depths. And he would talk about the intellect as being that part of the mind which is very much like the waves on top of an ocean. And sometimes the intellect is restless and the waves are tall and pounding. Um, And sometimes it's more calm when our mind feels more calm. But as you penetrate more deeply down into the ocean, and in this case we're actually penetrating deeper into the superconsciousness, actually more subtle than the intellect, suddenly we're in a deeper part of the ocean where we're beginning to feel joy, we're beginning to realize incredible clarity and a much deeper state of calmness. In fact, the way Master talked about it, he said, when you get into these deeper, superconscious areas of the mind, this is the home of intuition. And he described intuition as that faculty which lets us understand or actually perceive God. So intuition is important, but it is a realm of a much subtler portion of the mind. Master said also that the whales of great thought swim in the deeps of superconsciousness. He also said that thoughts are universally not individually rooted. And if you want to get to the core of any subject, the truth behind any topic, any subject, you can do it by understanding it intuitively with the superconsciousness. Intuition, or the perception of things in their most unitive form, requires much more energy. I don't know how many of you have noticed this, but sometimes if you're feeling mentally tired or physically tired, that sometimes you'll begin to do things simply by rote. Um, Just because it's simpler to work with your intellect, it doesn't require quite as much energy. I often find that at the end of a busy clinic day, sometimes... Right at the end of the day, I'm very glad on my last one or two patients that I know my intellect will get me through the patient and make sure I do everything correctly in case my intuition does not engage and give me um, a better thought on what to do for the patient. So the intellect can be very helpful, but 
it's a much lower level of energy of our mental, uh, mental consciousness. Swami wrote a, uh, an excellent book, by the way, called Intuition for Starters. I reread it last night in preparation for today. And uh, I was very much struck by its clarity. In fact, one of the comments that Swami made about intuition is that the hallmark of an intu- a clear intuition is that it has clarity, that it has calmness, and that it has joy. So if you have an idea for something uh, and you feel restless about it or it just makes you feel edgy when you think about it, um, there's a good chance you may need to dive again and look again with intuition to come up with a, a, a better, clearer idea of what you need. Very recently, there was a film that came out on the life of Ramanujan. Um, by the way, I just found out it's on Netflix. Those of you who watch films on Netflix, you can now see this. I saw it when it was in the theaters. It was in the theaters for exactly one night. <laughs> Ramanujan um, has always been a, a hero of mine when I was growing up because he was this incredibly brilliant Indian mathematician very simple, uh, frankly, rather poor, um, but absolutely brilliant. By age 23, he had done more in mathematics than virtually any living mathematician. But it's very interesting how he did it. He spent much of his time in the local temple, and he would write out his solutions to mathematical problems on the floor of the temple in chalk, and then transfer them into a little book. And... uh, Eventually, an English mathematician invited him to come to England and study. And the English mathematician held up the book that Ramanujan had sent him, this young 23-year-old, and he said, you know, there's enough work in this book that you just sent me of proofs. Um, There's enough here for a whole lifetime. And Ramanujan held up two more books and he said, I have more. (laughs) Many mathematicians at that time really wondered if he was the greatest mathematician of all time. And yet, few people have ever heard of him. One of the things that he was confronted with was he really got all the answers to his mathematical questions intuitively. In fact, when people asked him, how do you know the answer to this question, he would say, God gave it to me, quite honestly. What he was faced with in England is now he had to supply proofs. He had to go through and show logically every single step in a logical chain to get to that answer. Extremely difficult and very frustrating. Imagine if Mozart, after writing a symphony, before he could put it out and publish it and give it to others, for give it to others for enjoyment, people made him justify every single note before he could release it. That was kind of what Ramanujan was faced with. You know, there's a very curious relationship between intuition and intellect, and it reminds me a little bit of the relationship we see of the frontal lobes of the brain with the limbic system. The frontal lobes of the brain is that portion of our brain right here behind the forehead that is really our most enlightened um, clearest thinking portion of the brain where the limbic system, very primitive portion of the brain, is the seat of instinct and emotion. 
And I've always thought it was very interesting, the relationship that exists, because it turns out as your prefrontal lobes become stronger, the limbic system is automatically gradually inhibited. In fact, in people who meditate a lot, you'll often find that the limbic system becomes very unarousable. It's hard to get it engaged for anxiety or fear or things like that, or anger, which it can get into. And so there's this relationship of when you're ready to take charge of your life and actually function as a higher being, your limbic system easily just gets pushed out of the way. It it happens really quite automatically. Well, I think you can see there's a similar relationship between intuition and intellect. We have an intellect which we can pretty much use right from childhood that is actually very helpful. It lets us live our lives and solve problems. But in fact, it's a rather weak aspect of our mind compared to intuition. Intuition is much harder to learn how to use. And except for people who meditate regularly or have learned how to use intuition in their particular field, many people are kind of stuck just using their intellects trying to figure figure everything out. So once the intuitive ability of the mind has really been engaged, the intellect can become much less important, used more as sort of a backup or a safety net. The short answer is you don't have to depend on intellect so much. I remember once I had uh, been seeing Swami for Swami Kriyananda for a medical visit, and I was just finishing up and jotting a few notes in my chart and was getting up to leave, and he said, Peter, let me show you something. And he handed me one page out of clearly a very long letter that someone had written him that, um, as Swami sort of summarized for me quickly, I had no idea. He did not tell me who it was. Um, He said, this is someone who thinks we should really change how we educate children. And he's written me this 10-page letter telling me how we should do this. And I took it and read the one page of it that he offered me. And it was very interesting because it was very well written. It kind of reminded me of a term paper from college. Um, All the punctuation was correct. Um, But I thought it was very interesting because what he was describing, you might be able to do with a 28-year-old. Maybe you could do it with an 8-year-old, but I could not see doing it. uh, You could maybe do it with an 18-year-old, but I definitely could not see doing it with someone who was 8 years old. In fact, it just wouldn't have worked. So um, I handed the paper back to Swami, and he said, well, Peter, what did you think? And I said, well, it's a very interesting idea, but I don't think it's going to work for children. And he sort of smiled, and he said, yes, I agree. And then he got this kind of interesting expression on his, spa- on his face, and he said, isn't it interesting how sometimes people can kind of be very intelligent idiots? <laughs> And Master said this too. He said, people can be so skillful in their ignorance. Really highlighting the fact that sometimes we let our intellect reign free and we miss the underlying point. I actually was uh, thinking about this this morning. I remember once I was listening to this poor woman being interviewed on the radio. And um, 
She lived in a rural area on the East Coast, much like ours, where several times during the year there's a much higher risk for uh, deer running across the road, and so you have to be very careful when you're driving so you don't hit one. And um, she was making the point, she thought quite brilliantly, that um, even though they had put signs up, and you've seen these signs before, you know, it'll show a deer sort of leaping and there'll be a sign under it, deer crossing. She said she realized that where they had the the signs right now was very problematic because that's where all the accidents were happening and it was a very high traffic area. And why didn't they just simply move the signs? (laughs) And it was interesting because the... The interviewer um, couldn't get a word in, and he, fi- yeah, he, finally, uh, he finally said, you know, ma'am, I don't think deer can read. <laughs> so for developing intuition, what are some keys to understanding that? You know, probably the most important thing is attunement. And this is, going to be, this is going to be true in any field. Um, if you want to become a good investor, if you want to become a great architect, you want to become a great physician, really attuning yourself to this intuitive understanding of how that process happens is key to becoming really exceptional at it. And it's particularly true in spiritual development because it's so much more difficult and so much more refined and subtle in what we have to change. One of the things that Swami recommended in his book, Intuition for Starters, was if you're having trouble feeling an intuition about what to do with a project or a decision in your life, maybe you're having difficulty in how you're working with your children or with your spouse or um, a problem at work with a coworker or a difficult engineering problem that you can't resolve, and you want to have a much more intuitive response to the uh, issue, he recommended focusing all your awareness at the point between the eyebrows, at the spiritual eye, and then feeling for God's response in your heart. Offer the dilemma to the spiritual eye and feel for God's response in your heart because that's where you will know that sort of God's silent signature on your thought, whether that's the correct thing. He went on to say, sometimes you may not be able to feel anything. You may offer up all the different possibilities of how to work with something, and none of them really feels right. And what he suggested at that point was, go ahead and start. Just start doing something, because once your, your energy is moving, it is much easier to correct it than waiting until you have the perfect idea on how to move forward. Probably the most important thing we can do for developing intuition is to meditate. For those of you who meditate, make sure you meditate regularly. If you have Kriya Yoga, which is the main uh, meditation technique of our path, make sure you practice your Kriya Yoga regularly because it's during the practice of Kriya that we access that aspect of our mind that is most intuitive in its nature. 
And what we find over time is that God begins to guide our thoughts, begins to guide our actions. I've often thought, in fact, this is one prayer I have for myself if I know I'm facing a very difficult day at work, is I, I'll often affirm to myself as I'm driving to work, I affirm in perfect faith, for you are my armor and my shield. Just as a reminder that as long as I'm in tune with God, as long as I feel God's presence around me, that he'll guide my thoughts, guide my action, he'll solve all the little problems with the staff that I don't need to be involved in, that will make everything work well and harmoniously. I think the Gita says it well. Even a little practice of this inward religion, referring to Kriya Yoga, will free one from dire fears and colossal sufferings. So as we meditate, feel for God's voice within. Feel for God's presence within. Let him guide your thoughts. Let him guide your actions. Let him be in charge of your life. And every action, every thought you have will be guided with deep love and intuition and will take you to your home spiritually.